It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We would like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yagara peoples as the traditional owners of these lands where we now stand, recognizing that these have always been places of meeting and sharing. We'd also like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. everyone and welcome back to general queries a podcast about the brisbane queer scene i'm happy to have you with me on this beautiful whatever time of day it is that you are listening to this um i am still meganless i'm still without my dulcet tones and i think it's also quite important to tell everyone that i went out last night and i'm a little bit tired um so remember to get enough sleep when you go out and don't like schedule really big important things the day like after you go out like four hours after you go out that's just you know life advice with Talia um today to fill the meganless hole the megan sized hole in my heart um I have back a wonderful and dear friend uh Bradley who, hello. Hello. Um, who uh, you may remember from such episodes as the Holding the Man episode. Um, because me. because you were uh, – tonight's the last – so when we're recording this, tonight is the last show. Uh, the last show was last night. Oh, the last show was last yeah. night. Yeah. Are we spoiling the magic of podcasting by revealing it? Right now is not when. <laughs> yeah, we, it's actually – things are not instantaneous. Um, we're recording this quite – quite early on before it is recorded but yeah how did it all go yeah really well um it was one of those things i think this is the case of anyone who uh has been involved in theater before um about four days out you think oh no how can i ever show my face in this town again <laughs> what's what's gonna happen everything my dreams have imploded yeah um but you know uh you sort of it happens every time we Got through to opening and from then on it was pretty smooth sailing and uh, all the comments and feedback I've received and reviews that we've got were uh, very positive. So um, I'm having Having been someone that went and saw the show, oh my gosh, like just spending the last half hour just crying. It was so cathartic. Yeah. Like that, that's – it's weird how that's a selling point in a lot of shows. Just like, yes, I cried. Good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but honestly, it was – beautiful beautiful show and everyone there is so incredibly talented like yeah they're uh, exceptional cast yeah like i like when you were um here before and like talking about like drew and and zach Mm -hmm. and you like you cast them phenomenally well and actually seeing that kind of that relationship that kind of chemistry on stage it was absolutely beautiful yeah and i remember like talking to drew after the show because he's um in a comedy sketch group and he was like Thank you for just letting me doing some, let me just, thank you just for letting me do some serious acting. And like, honestly, he's very good at it, which is surprising for a man um, in the comedy sketch scene. And and playing a role that's so far removed from who he is. Yeah. Um, And his his own context and time and place and all that kind of stuff is so different to what he played. But it seemed, to me, it was such an authentic performance, particularly given that. Yeah. And it's, 
it's really interesting that it like not not to play identity politics here but it's really interesting that that sort of i guess vulnerability could come from a straight man Mm -hmm. um when he is playing a a gay story and it was yeah it was it's actually really just beautifully done actually and all of like you know thank you to to drew and to zach and but all of the the four other actors that you had were also incredible they were playing like 11 12 characters throughout the entire show yeah and they and one thing i sort of said to those guys too was in my final wrap-up speech was that they um they make everything look so fluid and easy Mm. not one person was doing anything that i would consider as someone who's going to go to background in theater that i would consider easy Mm. um and the way they sort of transformed and and played each of these 12 characters or so that they played was so differently realized um, yeah, I couldn't have been happy with the, the cast of the show and how much they just threw themselves into it. The final product was absolutely beautiful and incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah. I was on follow spot every night and so, as, you know, I watched it considering Tech Week and then the performances every night for a week and by the end of it I was like, I'm so glad that I have to <laughs> experience yeah. this anymore. Um, for, for, any, for anyone out there who's not uh, a theatre educated, a follow spot is um, the like the spotlight that you – Moves, yeah, yeah, that yeah. moves. moves um, when when you get like you know the movies where they they just have the the random light that just kind of moves up onto someone and they're kind of like shakily like emerging from the curtain. That's <laughs> that's the follow spot. Um, can we just can you adjust your up or further away? Or further? Uh, down, so you want it pointing at your bottom lip. That's all because you're you're actually sitting quite low in the oh, chair, okay. so it's actually pointing up. That's like all. that. Sorry, it was okay. Cool. It was just I, it was cutting out on me, and I was like, oh, is sure. this an issue? Um, yeah. <laughs> So, like, what's what's next now that we've done holding the man? What's next? What do you what do you do out in the big wide world yeah. beyond the theatre space? Um, yeah, well, I'm taking. I, I I tell myself this every time, so I'm going to take a break from theatre for a bit because. Um, oh, we all tell ourselves that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's um, it's you know, it's it's life consuming mm. when you're working on a show. Like, it sort of has to take precedent over everything. Um, so I do need to focus a little bit on my actual job that I get paid for. <laughs> um, Feel that. Yeah. <laughs> give them yeah. some of my time and effort. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of just uh, treading lightly now until some more opportunities sort of present themselves, but I'm going to catch up on sleep. Oh, yeah. There's always that big thing, like you finish a show and you're just like, ah, oh. My bed. I've missed you. This is this is what a bed feels like. This is what my room is. This is what my house looks like. It's um, it's it's that it's all this, that feeling that you get. I guess after a show and when you've you know because we were spending sort of twelve sixteen hour days on it mm. in the lead up to opening and we've been working with this cast and this group of people for two months and you get to the end and there's sort of that bittersweet feeling of like, oh, my friends, I'm not going to yeah. see them in that and group you de- anymore. You develop like this theater family. Yeah. You I like in a lot of the casts I've been part of, like we've had cast dinners where like after a, a one rehearsal that's been particularly bad, we all just go out and get Maccas or something. Like it, it's that kind of like instantaneous family that just dissipates. Yeah. And I noticed, I've noticed too, because um, I've done a lot of theatre, youth theatre mm. type stuff, so working with a lot of young people. Um, and for them it can be, particularly if it's their first time they've done something like that, it can be quite like a really severe like bout of sort of post-production depression yeah, and they sort of don't, they're not used to the feeling and they don't know yeah. what to do with it. And it can like hit quite hard to lose that routine that they've had mm. and that relationship they've had for so long. And all of a sudden it's like, we're done and it's gone. Yeah. And it's sort of, yeah, the, there's a, lo- a lot of times that I've seen you know, young people, like 15, 16 year olds just sort of lose themselves and just be so like unhappy for like a week or two afterwards, just because of that 
yeah. massive disruption to what they're used to and what they've become so accustomed to. Yeah, it's such a beautiful like sense of community that you build just coming together for a shared goal. Mm. And then you have a big cast party and then you you, you leave. Yeah, well, that was last night, so I am also a little bit tired. <laughs> oh, we're all, we're all tired in, in this. Um, we recently just had an episode. No, we didn't recently. It was about a month ago now. Um, there was an episode um, in our February specials called We Are Valid in This Chili's Tonight. Um, and... It's just in my head now, like I'm, I'm constantly just saying it to everyone, you're valid in this Chili's um, because I don't have anything original to say these <laughs> days. So you work as a teacher. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what's it like, um, like being, I guess, openly gay in, in, in a classroom situation or is that something that you don't really touch on? Um, it's not something that I necessarily go into a classroom and announce. Mm. Um, I think I'm quite like, I think I I have fairly obvious tells. <laughs> um, uh, I you know my voice and my mannerisms are you know, they're not that terribly traditionally masculine. Um, but I also like it's just something that and I'm I work in an environment that is very um, sort of open and progressive, um, and so it's just something that it will come up if a student has a question that relates relates to like a relationship which they might have you know, of any teacher, not just because, yeah. you know, I'm the gay teacher. Um, but, so, you know, there's times where um, kids will just sort of offhandedly ask if you're married or if you're, um, if you're that. Or there'll be sometimes where I'm telling some sort of anecdote that's relevant um, that involves me saying, oh, my, my boyfriend and I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't ever hide that part of myself, but mm-hmm. I also don't necessarily walk in and say, here I am and I'm gay, let's do English. <laughs> do you, have you found that there's like a whole lot of, like kids are, are, easy, are happier to talk about their own coming out experiences with teachers, like as you've taught more? Yeah, um, I, th- I find that uh, it, like each kid, I guess, is is really different. Mm. Um, and I know that sort of like goes without saying, but to the, to the point where like we will have two students in the same grade or in the same class um, whose experience in that regard is, is just wildly different. Um, and one who will be really confident in in that side of themselves and really wanting to sort of advertise that or say, you know, this is who I am. Um, and another, like even could be a friend of theirs who is just totally opposite. And there's no sort of, I guess, common theme or common thread that whose journey is going to go what way. It's, you know, can be a really significant mixed bag. And I've had classes where I've had like four or five you know, young gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, and each one of them has a very different experience and a different approach and a different way of identifying and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's not really a, there's no way to say, oh, well, it's this grade or this year level or this age group, so they'll all be like that. They're all yeah. wildly different. Is is there a way to – I guess the, the question I'm trying to ask is, like, if, if a kid is, is struggling, should they come to the teacher or should they wait for the teacher to come to them? Um, yeah. If – I mean, I guess the most important thing for all students and that we try and relay is that talk to someone that you trust. Um, and sometimes that's a teacher and um, – and if it's not, you know, if if there's not a teacher that they feel comfortable talking to, then it would potentially be more damaging to actually go to a teacher. There are times like if a, if a student says something that is in any way troubling or we think in any way that there's a risk involved, then we need to yeah. report that to our counsellor or our psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely I think, you know, with, with teachers, teachers are generally the trusted adult that's not a parent um, in most young people's life. So a lot of the time and a lot of kids will have one teacher that they would be able to go to. But particularly in, well, particularly in, in my school context, 
um, the the students at my school are already accepting. So they don't necessarily, I don't think they need, they feel like they need to mm. approach a teacher about it. Um, we run a program um, called Peer Skills, um, which is a Australia-wide program um, that Uniting Care offers. Um, and what it is is we train up a select number of students in each year level mm. and uh, they're trained by a psychologist to have basic counselling skills um, because what we found is that, you know, 90% of cases, if a student has an issue, they will talk to their peers before they talk to an adult. Mm. So, um, so yeah, if we train up, say, 20 students in each grade who are equipped with the, the, like the fundamental, absolute basic, basic skills of counselling, then when they are approached, as they tend to be, um, they're trained in what to say and how to respond and mm. And what to do if they sense that there's an issue that could be potentially dangerous or potentially harmful. Um, so with that, with that program in place, our school particularly, we don't have a lot of kids that feel they need to necessarily talk to a teacher. Um, but yeah, I mean, if this, if anyone is listening who is in that sort of situation, um, as, as someone that you trust is more important, I think, than what their profession is. Yep. Um, so, like, if a child like struggle we were talking a little bit about um like before we started recording about how like um zach who was in the cast like his mm. coming out experience is very different to like the coming out experience of like um like what what your experience was like um because like times have changed and, and stuff like that is that something that's kind of come across to you and like the kids that you've taught like the kids that do the kids that do come to you with these issues and, and stuff like that is that yeah um i think it's particularly my experience is, is in you know mostly in boys, so that's mm. sort of where I'm gonna uh, how or the, the angle that I'm pr- approaching this yep. from. Um, but I think what's important to remember is that boys grow up in a world that is, um, however unintentionally or however implicitly, um, it teaches them that there are certain ways that boys should behave, um, and there are certain things that interests that boys should have and interests that boys particularly should not have um and we it it happens through you know the media that they're exposed to through film and all that sort of stuff um everywhere they look and every sort of media that they consume reinforces subliminally that men should behave in a certain way um and so there are some students who think well i don't care about that um and you know personally i'm one of those people so i would be more confident in saying, well, I don't care about that. This is who I am. Um, but there are some stu- some young people without realising it who are so conditioned by that kind of exposure that they um, they see something inherently shameful in the way that they are or, um, you know, just because they're more susceptible to um, the influences of this context that they grow up in. And so, you know, you, you get students who are like, who will just say, yep, you know, one day come to school. Yep, I'm gay now. Um this is who I am and, and, you know, be really confident about it. Um, and then some who are like, I don't want to be this, this and mm. really struggle for, you know, for a number of years yeah. um, throughout their adolescence in, in coming to terms with that part of themselves. Yeah. And that's kind of sad. Like as someone um, who like has struggled with identity, I'm so glad that there are, like I, I now know that there are people like you in school contexts that are actually okay to to talk about these things because I like throughout my schooling it was very much a case of like um all of all of my teachers were were straight actually all of them were straight and it it's so important I think that we get representation in the classroom because otherwise you just don't know who to turn to um and like when I went to uni so um QUT has this thing called the allies program 
and you go to like the staff offices and stuff and you have these these signs at the front of all the offices that have like a flag and it's like I am an ally and then they list um that particular whoever that that lecturer is and like there's nothing like that in school environments uh, and I think it's it's actually really nice to just know that you're out here just kind of doing that kind of work. It's really nice. Like even if it's a small thing, it's really nice to just know. Yeah. Well, one thing I have is I do a lot of work with other schools as well. So I sort of travel around and talk to other, other people. Um, and one thing that I've sort of mentioned quite a few times that sort of is uh, surprising for people to hear it is that, you know, if I say to a, a faculty of teachers from a school, how many – you know, non-straight students do you have, they'll usually be able to list two, you know, mm. the two that are sort of quite um, proud or, or quite open about it. Um, and they'll be able to say, but in a school that has, say, 1,300 kids in it, you probably have about 130. Um, and to know two of the 130 is kind of a worrying statistic. It's, you know, it's you've got, therefore, approximately over 100 kids who are feeling this way and don't, maybe aren't processing it. Yeah, in the best possible way. Um, so that I mean that what you just mentioned about QT is like that would be a great thing. I think if that was in schools, so that those students do have a very clear direction like that of, of yeah. who to talk to and, and where they can go. Yeah, it's like again from my own like schooling experience, um, there was very much this culture of just like nobody wanted to talk about it. Like we had um, uh, a couple who were like openly gay, and it was the the students knew. Um, but the teachers more or less refused to just kind of acknowledge it um, as what it really was. And it was quite disheartening, I think. Um, and as someone who, again, like did, did struggle throughout high school, I think like we all had moments where we struggled throughout high school. Um, it was kind of like, you know, these are authority figures that um, – you know, we spend a lot of time with, um, like, as you said, like they're, they're authority figures that aren't parents. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the, the lack of, the lack of understanding that comes from them just not knowing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and that, um, insecurity in, in trying to figure out who you are while in high school. Um, yeah. You get, there are high schools too. Like there's, I mean, that there's a situation of, of a high school where, you, don't, you just don't have any teachers who identify that way and therefore don't know of the, what the experience is. Um, but then, sadly, there are high schools that will sort of actively um, – like a high school I used to work at, and I won't say, obviously, which mm. one. But, um, it, in, you know, in the 2000 and teens mm. decade, um, was, was still saying that of the formal couples, the grade 12 formal couples had to be boy-girl. Um, and when they were sort of asked, well – this is my boyfriend and I would like to go to the formal with him. They were said, oh, no, it's got to be boy and girl, which I think is wildly unacceptable mm, in, yeah. in that time period. Um, and particularly that was a, a government school, which I think really should not um, yeah. should not even have the, the power to say no yeah. to that. Um, yeah, so sadly, although, you know, 2019, certainly my school is a very different place to – my current school is a very different place to where I went to school. Um, it's a very different environment for, for kids like that, but there are still those schools currently exists that will actively say no you can't yeah. you can't do that can i ask what the major differences are between like the the environment in which you grew up and the environment in which you're trying to develop in the classroom currently yeah so um so i went to high school in the early 2000s um and it was at that it was at that really particular time in history where all of a sudden the idea of gayness was becoming a mainstream idea um so it was when 
they had like there was a barrage of like TV shows and everything that came out that were like sort of almost exploitatively mm-hmm. gay. So uh, it was like the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Mm-hmm. That was when that that was came out. I think when I was in year ten, um, and then it was like um, there was this horrible reality show where like half the cast was gay and half the cast was straight, and they were trying to like seduce this woman, and she had to work out which. <laughs> it was like a wow. lot. Um, a lot of that sort of stuff. So Queer as Folk was on at that time. That was all. It was just this. All of a sudden, was everywhere, um, and so the reaction to that was quite divided. You know, um, it was at my school particularly. There was like a lot of students who were really on board with that, and had and that mainstream exposure had made them go, "Oh yeah, this is something we're down with." Um, and then also the the adverse of that, and it was sort of where we first heard this term, uh, shoving it down our throat. Um, there's you know people who reacted in that way, so it was a more I guess a lot more divisive. Um, because I was lucky enough to be in school at a time where the idea was sort of taken on board as, as a good thing um, and popularised and that sort of stuff. Um, whereas today I feel like um, that that 50% maybe from when I was in school is now maybe 90%. Um, so, you know, the ma- and I think a major difference is that if you are against people who are homosexual or um, you know, L- LGBT plus um, if you're against that kind of idea, you are the minority yep. now. Um, and whereas when I was at high school, you weren't the minority. You were sort of it was pretty – well, it felt pretty equal. Yeah. Okay. That's Yeah, we're, we're moving forward, which is a good step actually. And it's really yeah. nice to hear about the step forward in our lifetime as well. Yeah. 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 And it's quite – yeah, because it is quite significant if I compare like things that maybe were said when I was in high school mm-hmm. that I just could not imagine being said at my school. Yep you know, now, um, which is, yeah, I mean, some things take centuries to change. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's interesting that that's sort of happening uh, just over a decade, I guess. Yeah. Leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. We're actually doing well, guys. Yay! Um, So I want to do a a quick little topic change here because, um, oh, he's dying. Um, (laughs) So uh, again, to show when we recorded this podcast uh, episode, um, so Drummer Queensland uh, over the weekend recently did um, a whole bunch of workshops and mm-hmm. uh, seminars and stuff like that. And I know that you also do a lot of like education work and seminars. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the work that you did with them over sure. the weekend? Yeah. So, um, so my I have a master's in education, mm-hmm. um, and my my thesis for which I was sort of awarded the master's was. Um, in the sort of the the social construct of gender, um, and and how that translates to particularly as I said before, my work is mostly in boys, um, and how that sort of those cultural cultural ideas impact on the way that boys learn and develop, and um, the impact it has on behaviour and mental health and that sort of stuff. Um, and then, so what I do with that information is I channel that into like the idea of theatre and drama because mm-hmm. I, I teach drama in high school. Um, and so basically what I do is I go to these sort of conferences and deliver workshops on um, how drama teachers can work to remove the stigma that drama as a school subject has a gender. Um, because uh, in Australia currently, um, 33% of all of the students who study drama are boys and 67% are girls. Um, I'm sorry, 33% is boys or not reported. Um, and so... And that's like quite a, a wide discrepancy yep. when you consider that um, PE, which is a, a subject that is uh, socially masculinized, yep. um, that's a 69% boys and 
math, 31%. Good. <laughs> um, so, um, but really they should be the same because they're the same kind of subject. You know, they're about being physical. They're not, the, they're not as theoretical as other subjects are. Yeah. So they should attract the same sorts of students. Um, so at my current school, um, we have a lot of processes and processes in place that sort of de-genderize the subject Um, and as a result of those processes that we've implemented sort of over the last four years um, we have 65% of our drama students are boys Um, and we haven't done that by eliminating girls from the subject Um, we've just worked to remove the idea that boys shouldn't do drama Um, and the result of that is you know boys really like doing drama so there's a lot of them in there Um, and so what I do at these conferences is I go around and sort of share those processes so that other schools are able to sort of implement them um, and do what they can to remove the idea that drama is feminine or drama is yeah. only for someone who is you know, a girl or, yeah. or gay. Yeah. And then, oh gosh, it's such a, such a huge thing. Like you, you kind of don't realize it until like you're actually like doing drama in high school and you realize that, yeah, actually most of the people here are girls, mm-hmm. which, which leads to a really interesting um, I, I think we have um, talked about this before with um, like previous members of the underground exec. Like it leads to this really interesting thing where you get um, femme presenting people trying to play men. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You get um, like you, you maybe don't have enough, you didn't have enough men audition. So you had to get like a girl to pretend to be a guy, which like, I, I think the, the issues um regarding like trans issues and stuff like that um it's not explicit but it's definitely there when you start looking at it in a in a like especially like in a high school theater context like finding out like um that you're trans in high school and then uh, you know you have these girls just kind of playing guys for like the fun of it it's it's a lot actually Mm -hmm. and i'm it's really interesting that like like working towards making it a more kind of um, gender neutral space. Yeah. yeah. And so I think so many things that we do without realizing it. And um, there's something I talk about in workshops, teacher complicity through the language that we use. Um, there is so much that we sort of do without realizing it that reinforces unintentionally this gender binary in, in the things that we say in the way that we talk to groups of people. Um, and, you know, unless we're conscious of them, unless we sort of explicitly address those practices within ourselves and within these workspaces, um, then they just continue to manifest. And, you know, boys not doing drama isn't a product of boys being told, do, don't do drama, it's for girls. Yeah. But it's because of the, the complicity in the way that we approach it yeah. that those ideas develop. Yeah. Um, um, unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap up soon because we have hit our time limit mark. Um, I can talk for a very long time. Sorry. Oh no, it's wonderful <laughs> to actually just listen to you talk. And I really do love like really, um, and this isn't just me being like slightly tired. This is me going, I actually really just love really low key discussions on mm-hmm. these kind of things because like the moment you get someone talking about something that they're passionate about, it, it's really nice to just kind of watch their face light up <laughs> as, as they do that. And like, it, it's quite obvious just talking to you that you're very passionate about this and about mm-hmm. um education in, in multiple facets of life and it, it's really nice just to, to hear you talk about it thank you um yeah but we we are gonna have to wrap up and i know that i have asked you this question before but i'm gonna ask it again um because you know things change people come up with different things that they want to put forward but if you had advice for 
um, someone um, in a high school, let's say, um, who was struggling, what, what advice would you give them? Um, I think the most important thing is a lot of – if you jump on like websites, which I think is where a lot of young people turn, um, if you jump on websites, they will generally tell you, you know, just be yourself and, and that kind of thing, which is great advice. The thing I would add to that, though, is just make sure that you um, – when you are doing anything that is reaffirming your identity, make sure that you do have a safe, a safety net, I guess, or a safe support or a safe response around you. Um, just because, you know, that sometimes sometimes things can get um, unexpectedly not the way you want them to go. Um, so I would encourage you, if you are in that sort of period of your life, be yourself, um, be the person that you want to be. Don't let society, social conventions sort of dictate who you are. Just make sure that you do have someone you can go to or someone that is trustful around you um, so that you do have a backup and that you are in a safe position. Yeah, and, and school is quite an internal um, structure. It's, it's like a small town within a town. Um, community. Yeah, it's a very small, small community. And, yeah, it's, I think it's so important to have that that kind of just fallback because mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't, then – Children are vicious. Yeah. Children are quite vicious. <laughs> Just, you know, it, making sure that you have something to fall back on is really, really very important. But, yeah, thank you so much for um, coming on and talking to us again today because I, I just love hearing everything that you have to say. <laughs> thank you. Being it's honest. my pleasure. Um, for everyone out there in podcast listening land, we unfortunately are going to have to leave you now. But um, I would like you all to know that, you're doing amazing and that whatever you've done today, it's it's enough. Don't stress about it. You're going at your own pace. You've survived 100% of days and you are doing amazing. Give yourself that credit. And we will see you next week. Have a lovely time. Bye, friends. Hi, my name's Buck. I'm accompanied by... The Professor. And Mr. DJ Fly High. Together we call ourselves Nerds Amalgamated. We bring to you a podcast called Top Shelf Nerds, which is a show about nerd news, brought to you by nerds, for nerds, about nerds. Come and give us a listen, give us a like, give us an insult. We love it all. Hope to hear from you soon. 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.